everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Lit. I am joined today by Tyler Hummel, a freelance critic, journalist, and host of the Anti-Social Network podcast. Welcome. Good to be here. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I am so, so excited about the book we're talking about tonight. This is one of my favorite books, one of my favorite authors, uh, and that is C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Um, I'm so glad you recommend recommended that we talk about this tonight. Indeed. Um, I can't remember the first time I read The Screwtape Letters. It was probably when I was bored in college, but at the time I was going through the, I, I guess the 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 the, 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 the C.S. Lewis books that are the popular ones to read. So I was reading Mere Christianity on my commute to college every single day. And I read this. At the time, I don't think I necessarily appreciated what it was going for and how complex it was. But a couple years later, I came back to it and it just clicked with me and it just instantly became my favorite book. And yeah. I, think, I think since then, I've read it at least six times cover to cover at least wow. read multiple versions of it there's four or five adaptations of it there's a stage play version of it that's currently touring there's a marvel comics adaptation from the 1970s that's very hard to find but i have it and it's not very good but i so have cool. it uh but yeah i uh this is one of the handful of books that i would say i have a pretty solid grasp on all things considered i love it yeah this is was one of my first C.S. Lewis books, aside from the Chronicles of Narnia, this was the one I read uh, as an adult. And like you said, I didn't really get it at first. I was like, this just sounds like really creepy and strange. And like, what is he trying to get at? But yeah, as I got older, I got more into it. Um, and then I started to understand it better. I really like the audiobook adaption. Uh, the version I have is by Ralph Kosham. Uh, but you had me listen to the Doodles one on YouTube, and that was amazing. Yeah, this book has been done up as an audiobook probably about a dozen times at this point, just because it's one of the most popular books to come out of England in the past hundred years. It's probably Lewis's second or third most popular book. And the two adaptions I tend to go to are the, I, the whatever the Blackstone version is, because that's the one that's oh, yeah. free on Audible. But there's also a John Cleese version of it, which is very weird. Uh, you know, wouldn't, you wouldn't think of the Monty Python guy as a yeah as Lewis fan. But the best version of it I found is the Andy Serkis version, mm -hmm. where they, I mean, obviously, and I'm sure your fans are familiar with Gollum from Lord of the Rings. They right. had him do it up as a radio drama, and they they actually added new dialogues so that they could have a character do the voice of uh, uh, Wormwood, which right. is not in the original book. But the, but the dialogue they do come up with is very very convincing, and it mm -hmm. it it really kind of comes off as Weasley compared to just how elegant uh, Lewis's uh, prose is for Screw Tape, which it works perfectly, especially right. with with. Circus's absolutely scenery chewing evil laugh, which he that deploys laugh. in very strange he deploys in very strange moments, but it always just the most spine chilling thing. Yeah, listening to that version, oh, it was so much more creepy than it already feels. Like C.S. Lewis just gets you with how how creepy it is, but then having um, that audio narration, that evil laugh, that evil laugh just got me. Um the best so, part is that they clear. The best part for me as an audio engineer, 
uh, in my former life. The best part mm -hmm. for me is that there's clearly takes where the audio engineer screwed up the the recording because it peaks. You get a little bit of <laughs> on the recordings, but they kept it in because the recording was just so good that it's like, okay, it's it's slightly damaged, but we're never we're not going to get anything better. <laughs> well, and I wonder if that doesn't add to the atmosphere too, because like in a lot of horror games, you get that weird staticky background sound. And I don't know, it just makes it feel creepier. I've never seen someone use audio peaking as a as a tool, but that could be true. But yeah. anyway. Um, so for those of you who have never read the screw tape letters, um, I would read the back of my book, but it's just like, this is how cool this book is. Uh, so I pulled the summary off of Amazon. And so the screw tape letters by CS Lewis is a classic masterpiece of religious satire that entertains readers with its sly and ironic portrayal of human life and foibles from the vantage point of screw tape, a highly placed assistant to our father below. At once wildly comic, deadly serious, and strikingly original, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters is the most engaging account of temptation and the triumph over it ever written. Um, just based on that summary alone, like if you had never read the book, would you be like interested in it? Uh, I don't know if I can put myself in the mindset about that. because uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's something I'm so familiar with at this point that I can't not think of it as something endemic to my spiritual life and my reading habits but i mean if i were I, when i usually sell the book to people i usually say it's a it's a satire about demon bureaucrats <laughs> demon and, bureaucrats I like which that. which i think is the great uh insight that he brings to the novel that hell is just an endless series of middle managers <laughs> and uh which, which, that sounds about right. It's just right. a giant corporation where the moment you fail, you're you're just immediately evaporated. There's there's no forgiveness. There's no there, there's no advancement. There's only you keep doing your job until the day you can no longer do your job, and then right. you just cease to exist. It is just the most brutal, you know, a, a brutal uh, hierarchy you could possibly imagine. Although although he calls it the lowerarchy, right? So. Yeah, I like the time he takes to make all of these conversions from things we already know, like our father below or the lower archy instead of the hierarchy. Um, it's very thoughtful. He, Lewis said that there was never a book that came more instantly to him than Screwtape Letters compared mm -hmm. to anything else he did. But he also said that it was also one of the most emotionally taxing books because I every single because he had to put himself in the mindset of Screwtape in order to make it work, which. Yes, corporatism yeah. is a good way to put it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it, the, the the actual mental process of pretending to be screw tape, he said, caused him to spiritually cramp for the duration he was writing it, Oof. which I can I can get that. Yeah, it's it's very hard to put yourself in the thought process of of making evil more prevalent, just based on how we live our lives, and usually through really pedantic ways, right? Which, which it comes easily to us because we are by nature sinful creatures. But indulging it also makes it a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Uh, wartime propaganda over on Rumble says, hell is full of assistance to the regional managers. I mean. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, the, the style of the writing is this high satire, high irony. Um, did your book come with two prefaces? Because mine did. It was weird. Mine did not. I have okay. the... This is the... 
off-the-shelf version, you'll find it every single Barnes & Noble. There's an there's actually an annotated version out there that I haven't gotten yet, oh, but eventually, cool. eventually I want to read that, because I, th I think it's done up by the Wayne Center, and I like those guys, so they're they're very good C.S. Lewis scholars. But mm. for now, this is a, any, any edition will do. So yeah. The only difference it seems to be is that yours has an extra preface that mine doesn't have. And both of ours comes with uh, Screwtape Proposes a Toast, which is like that little extra snippet towards the end. Yes, this was not part of the original book, though. So right. as I, as I, the, the original book was published, the series is actually published as letters in a, a, a English newspaper called the Anglican Guardian uh, during mm -hmm. World War II. And it was eventually collected into a volume, and in 1943, it was shipped over to the U.S. And that's actually the first book of his that brought him popularity here. In England, his first book of note was The Problem of Pain. Here, uh, Screwtape Letters was the one that took off, and it gave him his American fans. Uh, most notably, his future wife, but that's a whole different... Uh, yeah. Uh, whole. I, I don't want to go into the Joy Davidman stuff right now. But, oh yeah, that that's that's for another episode. At some but point. yeah, he got he ended up being profiled by Time Magazine, and uh, in, in the late 1950s, he was approached multiple times to do a sequel book to Screwtape Letters because obviously it's his most popular book. Everyone likes right. it. Is it well? It's too hard to write, so he ended up writing Screwtape Proposes a Toast as kind of a short story. That and for most editions, it, it's kind of just stapled onto it. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot of the book, but it's. A, it's a good kind of epilogue because it just yeah. takes the character and puts him in a, of, of Uncle Screwtape and puts him in a different setting, and it actually mm -hmm. lets it actually lets him breathe a little bit more, and we learn a little bit more of just what how hell works and what his thoughts are on the general political movements of the 20th century. Right. So it's a, it's a little less personal and more political, but it's a really good uh, addendum to everything that comes first. I totally agree. Uh, it's really fun. And hopefully uh, get to the end and towards the rumble section, we'll be able to talk about it a little bit more. But uh, just to really dive right into it, one of the things we hope to do tonight is to look at the advice that Screwtape gives to his underling Wormwood and see what alternate advice we can derive from that. Um, because the whole point is that Screwtape is writing these letters to his nephew Wormwood, this young tempt who is dealing with the patient, right? Just a normal human being who's living his life. Uh, and he's basically trying to draw him down this wayward path. Um, so one of the first things that comes up is arguing. Uh, he wants to keep the patient from arguing. Like, what's, why not? You know, why isn't he allowed to think critically there? Is this from the first letter or? Yeah, it's from it... the first letter. Yeah, so Screwtape brings up a really interesting uh, series of advice because the patient who goes unnamed is being tempted by the underling Wormwood, and Wormwood is incompetent, so he has to constantly. So, Absolutely. So uh, Screwtape has to constantly send him advice explaining basic concepts to him as though he's a complete idiot, which he is. But, right. And one of the first things he explains is that. You, uh, intellectual thought and rational thinking are actually tools that can reasonably lead a person to religion, which isn't, which, you know, in modern days, I'm sure there's a few people that would spit, uh, do a spit take hearing that. But in C.S. Lewis's mind, being a, a student of Plato and Aristotle and Boethius, he, he thought this way all the way through. And he said, obviously, his entire faith journey was based on reasoning 
faith all the way down to the ground and coming and realizing that it makes more sense than the belief that the earth is just a dead thing and that there's nothing out in the universe and we're just an empty cosmos but for screw tape he takes that 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 lesson of lewis's and says the best thing you can do is just to have him not engage at all we don't want him to think and if we do want him to think we want him to think bland and stupid platitudes that don't actually mean anything for as long as possible and just to keep him in a state of mediocrity and, and absent critical thinking for without that way he doesn't do anything and he uses the example of a man who goes to a museum and he sees a painting and thinks is this all that life is like is this the is this what my what my life is can be amounted to just things that wind up dead in a museum and Screwtape talks about how this question is extremely dangerous if you're a if you're a demon it's extremely right. good if you're a christian because it that's the kind of question that can lead you to reevaluate and come to faith but in this case his, his screw tape's answer to solving the problem is to tell to whisper in his ear you should get some lunch and <laughs> so we can all relate to that on some level so the man gets distracted and then the question never gets resolved and screw tape yeah. says well he's in hell now <laughs> it's like, we never we, we he never he never revisited that thought again because i was smart enough to just make him think these are questions that can be thought about later and he never does and he goes to hell and that's how screw tape ends up becoming the higher up in the lowerarchy because he's just really really good at what he does he's really good at making pedant using pedantic questions to tempt people it it's so unnerving because when i was reading that part I, I could see myself doing that. I'm sure there was a time in my life when I was like doing some deep thinking or like was getting into something that could almost, you know, you're almost there. And then it's like, oh, I need to go eat or I got to go do the laundry or this the facade of real life barges in, you know, I have things to do. I don't have time to deal with these big questions of morality or mortality. Uh, and it's, so unnerving to think that it's that little whisper, that little temptation trying to worm its way into your brain to separate you from God. Yep. And that's, it's extremely dangerous. I mean, one of the, probably the best line of the entire book comes at the end of the 12th letter. Hmm. And he said, where Screwtape says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones and without signposts I which love that is quote. it's it's painful to think about that too yeah. and, and he, he, he one of the more interesting things that screw tape says later in the book is that uh sh short brutal lives are often more useful to heaven than long than mm. long slow ones so it's better to be a soldier dying valiantly in combat that in, in that, which is a brave statement right. from C.S. Lewis, considering he was a World War One veteran, than to be a, a lonely grandfather in a nursing home with a debilitating disease that keeps you from living a dignified life. Because yeah. the, the later guy is the one that's going to have doubts. The later guy yeah. is the one that's going to lack virtue. He's not going to be able to exercise his the good parts of his life. Those are, and he's go he's going to be filled with bitterness and resentment and loneliness. And that's when the the creeping little questions that can drag you to hell start to cr uh, to crawl yeah. into your brain. It's be it's better to be to be given a long, painful, slow life that just slowly drags you away from anything good, than to even just run do something stupid for virtuous reasons. Right. I I mean, right 
towards the end, I mean, Screwtape says, how much better for us is it if all humans died in a costly nursing home amid doctors who lie, nurses who lie, friends who lie, as we have trained them, promising life to the dying, encouraging the belief that sickness excuses every indulgence, and even if our workers know their job, withholding all suggestion of a priest, lest it should betray to the sick man his true condition. I mean, the whole point is to avoid us recognizing our own mortality. Yep, it's very, it's very dangerous. And that, that kind of ignorance is what Screwtape really kind of is trying to encourage Wormwood to build, which is difficult. It's actually more difficult than one might think, given the world we live in. But right. it's being, it's having that layer of wool over our eyes allows us, for, allows, you know, as Paul would say, the veil to keep us from understanding truth. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Wartime Propaganda, over on Rumble with the $5 Rumble Rant, one of my all-time favorite books. I am so glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear when people, like, love this book and it had a major impact on their lives, because uh, it definitely had a major impact on my spiritual life. It made me question things more. It made me, like, really sit down and think about the things that I'm doing, because, um, like, one of the things that comes up, I can't remember if it's the second or the third letter is just like being around family and when you live with someone for a long time there are these little annoyances like the way they hold their face the way they talk to you the little sounds that they make uh start to annoy you and that's again that little creeping temptation towards anger not really thinking about the person in a loving way just thinking about how much they irritate you and i saw that a lot myself i was like oh no I'm remembered. I'm reminded of Ch- it's not related to this, but I'm reminded of Chesterton's quote that the Bible tells us to to love our enemies and to love our neighbors, usually because they're the same people. Uh, but which is true. I mean, it is true. Anyone who knows family knows that the most difficult relationships are the people that you have to grow up with, and those are often the ones that are the most bitter and the most painful and the ones that never get resolved, and that's sad. But yeah, it's it's reality, and it's those little it's those little tiny things that are the most damaging to our souls and to our spirituality. Yeah, for sure. Uh, One of the things that came back up when we were talking about uh, critical thinking, it's not just not thinking, but thinking with our emotions. And it's so interesting to me that C.S. Lewis saw this even in his time. Now it's way more prevalent. It's like, we can't talk about truth. We can't talk about anything that's actually real. We can only talk about how it makes you feel. That's certainly true, and there's a lot of deferral from screw tape to not think of things in objective in objective terms. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, he talks about this the, this tendency where the enemy, as in God, right. wants you to think in very simple platitudes. You know, is it right? Is it virtuous? Is it good? Is it morally correct? And the most important thing to the demons is to make them think. Is this reactionary? Is this progressive? Is this part of the flow of society? Right. It's, it's not not the things that actually matter. Just the things that they're they're the thoughts that cancel thoughts. It makes it want the, the right. demons want you to think of the world as you know something that that it's easy that you engage with others with, and not as something you're trying to work through. You you need to have this very shallow approach to life and that that even goes to his friends like one of the things that worm, worm, one of worm uh screwtape's biggest adv- piece, piece of advice is be very careful who his friends are because right. if his friends are 
shallow, manipulative cocktail hour and modern intellectuals. Right. He's going to become that. He'll just be surrounded by that, and that'll become his his, uh, his au revoir. He's, he's not going to have deep thoughts, but if he's surrounded by Christians, and more importantly, intelligent Christians, right? he's, he's in danger because those people are actually going to reason him out of bad ideas. I like that you bring that up because, I mean, Proverbs reminds us one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I mean, the people we surround ourselves with are extremely important. They can either sharpen us in our faith and in our walk with God, or they can bring us crumbling down really fast. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous. Um so one more thing I'd like to talk about before we go over to exclusively rumble is science. It, it was so interesting to me that even, well, that here particularly, he was like, don't get him to think about the real science. Don't get him to think positively about things he can't touch or see. It has to be this very surface level type of science. If he's going to think about it at all, like psychology, or sociology. I was like, okay. <laughs> Freudianism. Freudianism. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, that was the significant movement of his day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, the, there, scientism is not a new thing, but right. there, it's probably more aggressive now. I mean, I, we're, I'm sure we're relatively the same age. I'm, you mm-hmm. know, I, I mean, we pro- I'm sure you remember growing up with all the people on Facebook, you know, sharing the I effing love science posts. Uh, yes. Where it's like, look at this cool photo of, a, of space. Isn't that cool? Science is awesome. It's like the Bill Nye, the science guy stuff. Just with that. I was not guy. even a real scientist. Well, at least, you know, at least with the original show, I can reasonably be assured, certain that, they, that he was doing science experiments with right. writers supporting him. If people, you know, the people that run I Think Love Science, they're just these annoying millennials that enjoy being vulgar and bragging about material reality and just pointing out these uh, very pedantic surface level understanding of the world. It's 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 very materialistic. It's, it's all the things that C.S. Lewis hates. It's all it's it's not even real science, like he says. It's, right. It doesn't teach us anything. It doesn't teach us to be more methodical. It just teaches right. us to love this exterior thing yeah and and it's emotional it's it's manipulative and it makes us not think it does make us not think uh lois repeating what we were saying well he didn't say that there to have him think of science but not too deep of science and this is the thing that gets me because if you if you genuinely think deep about science and this is just a tiny glimpse of a future project i'm working on uh, but if you think of nucleotides for example these are the chemicals that make up our dna and they're essential to our daily life and the way they combine and the number in which they combine is so wondrously complex that it really shows the creativity of god uh, so to me when you think genuinely deeply about science it it shows us god and i think c.s lewis was getting to that point too but nowadays people basically worship science as if it's a god in and of itself yeah it's a it's a rather aggressive mutation of that idea it's almost it's almost skewing into that hideous strength territory which yeah i'm sure the space trilogy is something you're gonna have to do later but the it's this if there's not a, if, if the science isn't actually bringing us to a deeper understanding of reality, it's it's useless. It's not actually making us wiser. In fact, it's actually making us 
more dangerous because we become more knowledgeable, but also more morally stupid, which is how we get into a lot of the modern problems we have where we're, we're like, oh, we're going to invent artificial intelligence that will wipe out 90% of jobs. And like, <laughs> why would you want to do that? <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> okay. So like if we're thinking about cars that drive themselves, for example, it's like, why would you do that to yourself? Like I can understand the tiny convenience, but you're dumbing yourself down. You're relying on a computer that now has the ability to end you if someone hacks into it and you've eliminated millions and millions of jobs. Like I just, I don't understand why would you invent a robot to replace you? I, I, well, I mean, I, I'm not as, I don't think self-driving cars are as dangerous as self-driving trucks. Because obviously, because a, a self-driving semi-truck, that's that's a that's a $30,000 job that disappears for every one of those that exists. Right. If I have a self-driving limo and I'm just sitting in the back playing my Nintendo Switch while I'm driving 5,000 miles, that's that's not as dangerous. But I think the, it's one, the, the, the consequences of these things aren't always clear to us, particularly if you're a completely insulated uh, Silicon Valley tech bro, or you're if you're in tech and you're not Elon Musk and you don't have a consistent sense of doom about you that you that everything you're doing is going to backfire if it's if it's not you the one do, doing it. So right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, well, I think this is a good place to say goodbye to YouTube. Um, we always like to say don't work for companies who hate you and hate your values. So we won't, which is why we're going to take our show exclusively over to Rumble and Odyssey. Audio listeners will still, of course, get the majority of the episode. But our goal over at Hawkhound is to make sure that we're not making little compromises to grow our podcast. So make sure you guys join us over on Rumble and Odyssey. I'm going to drop the links in the chat real quick. Um, anything you'd like to say, Tyler, before we hop on over? to rumble and odyssey uh go support me on twitter at antisocial crit i that's critic without the c at the end and look up my youtube channel uh just it's just my name i do a weekly podcast with just any kind of person i could possibly imagine so go check them out it's a really good podcast guys you should definitely go check it out links to it are in the description below uh, so make sure you check that out and just as a quick reminder don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel wherever you get this podcast be it on youtube rumble odyssey spotify you know wherever you're listening and special starting this week anyone who leaves us a five-star review will have that review shared on the next episode and will earn a special 20 percent off discount code for our hot count shop so please help us grow our channel and beat the algorithm so we can continue to make awesome content that you guys enjoy so we will see you guys over on rumble and youtube All right, now that we said goodbye to our big tech overlords and we're just on Rumble and Odyssey, let's talk about cool stuff. Like being new to Christianity. Where, where, where do you want to start on this? Because obviously the we, we didn't really talk about the overall structure of the book in the first oh, yeah. part. Which, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that. I mean, it, it's, it's somewhat irrelevant just because this isn't a narrative story, strictly right. speaking, but there is a narrative throughout that you can loosely follow. Do we want to do spoilers at this point or do you want to hold mm. off on that? No, I think that's great. I'm going to go ahead and run the spoiler warning because we're over on Rumble and Odyssey. Now's the time to talk about all the good stuff. So let's roll it.
All right, are, we are in the spoiler section. If you're okay. younger than 82 years old and you haven't read this book, uh, read the book. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So obviously, as we mentioned, it's a, it's a story about a demon that is the higher member of the lowarchy teaching his incredibly stupid nephew how to be a good demon. That way, he isn't. It's not exactly described what will happen to him, but we kind of understand that he will essentially be eaten if he is not properly does not learn how to properly tempt other human beings. So, and if he and if, and if and at a point he fails, he's dragged down to hell again and tortured and then sent back up. So, it's a pretty brutal job. But Wormwood has a has basically his life on the line, and he has to figure out a way to get this unnamed British individual in 1941 to either 1940 or 1941 to get him to hell and he's really bad at it so most of what he's doing most of what he's doing in the book is just constantly sending letters to his uncle asking him for little uh, trivia bits of advice what what can i do in the situation how can i do it and the and and screw tape is just completely non the entire time he's he's this is all to him this is all simple stuff that he should have learned at the academy he's like you, the, you should have figured out this out in your class. What is the academy ha doing nowadays? They, they're completely useless. Our researchers aren't aren't, aren't teaching you how to do this. And about halfway through the novel, uh, the worst possible situation for Wormwood happens when the, the human being he's tempting suddenly converts to Christianity and more so become, becomes essentially untouchable in some regards because either an angel or the Holy Spirit has descended upon him and made it effectively impossible for him to do certain kinds of temptation, particularly right. sexual kinds. So now he has very limited range to do anything that he can to draw this human being to hell, but he's still trying. And just as a safety precaution, he turns his uncle into the infernal police by claiming that he spoke a infernal heresy, quote unquote, right. and by, by claiming that the enemy actually loves the human beings, which isn't possible because the enemy can't possibly love them that's why our why our father he wasn't chased out of heaven he jumped out of heaven right he couldn't stand it anymore he started his own it's basically milton but right but yeah it's it, 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 he's, he's like we we he jumped into hell to start his own purely rational republic where everyone is equal and everyone puts in their fair it's basically like a puritan colony right. but it's like it's like everyone does their fair share and and, and we're going to research and figure out how to destroy heaven and shut the like says our goal is to shout down heaven and prove it wrong which, which I, obviously I, is if you've read the great divorce you know this is incredibly silly and stupid and it doesn't make any sense but yeah, which is a good teaser because next week we're actually going to talk about the Great Divorce because I just can't get enough of C.S. Lewis. Um, yeah. But real then, quick, over on Rumble, Abby Libby with the six dollar Rumble rant. Tyler, Abby Libby, so excited to see you. Yeah, I left a comment on their podcast last week as a troll, but uh, nice. Uh, but yeah, so towards the end. Wormwood is starting to make a little bit of progress again, but not really. And the worst possible situation happens in the final letter when the the, the soul he's supposed to tempt is killed in a in, during the Battle of Britain by a bomb, and his soul is suddenly ascended up to heaven, and Wormwood is now doomed. There's no way out, and and Screwtape sends him one final letter and says, you will be given to me and I will enjoy what I get to do to you. And then that, that and that's the end. Although the, from there's the, from there's the, the also, there's also the epilogue of Screwtape proposed the toast, which is mm -hmm. 
I guess ostensibly set a decade later. Uh, it's just uh, Screwtape giving a kind of a, a college uh, opening night, uh, opening address about the state of the world and about the state of democracy and the time since that's happened. So it's it's not really tied to the overall narrative, but it is very, but it's very good given the amount of context details because we start to get a little sense of what they're doing with all the souls they're eating. Essentially, they they compare them to the, the humans that come down to hell are compared to fine wines and right. well prepared meats. There's like we uh, we we have an antique bottle of Pharisee tonight. This is a very special night. <laughs> that yeah, we'll have to get into all of the little details about that. Uh, but I do want to touch back on the the university. I like how even in hell, the a- academy is just absolutely worthless still. That <laughs> says a Probably lot. because they're killing all of their tempters. <laughs> <laughs> There's no knowledge transmission in hell other than what the researchers are doing. Right. So. They're sending all, this, all these young tempers out, and half of them are coming back dead. It's like there's there's no there's no ability to train experience in the long term. It seems right. Well, and part of that is the move in which they've decided to do the temptation. So it, it seems to me like the, just throughout the whole narrative, there was this past where uh, the tempters would show themselves and try really hard to create magicians and devil worshipers and like all of this dark magic type stuff. And now in the modern age, it's more secretive and slow and covert. And he even mentions this and screw tape proposes a toast. Like the souls aren't as good anymore. Like they don't taste as good because they're just kind of like myths type sinners. Um, but it just shows you how creeping and easy it is to walk down that slow and narrow path, like you were saying earlier. It definitely reflects the way culture changes, because it's one thing for a demon to pretend like he is a demigod, and you know, right? You, 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 and that's kind of generally the interpretation of some of the aspects of the Old Testament, where you see these gods like Asher or Baal, you know, mm-hmm. whispering into the ears of these societies and saying, sacrifice babies, kill them all. Uh, like just, they're not doing that now. Yeah. Where's my, I, I would pull out my Alex Jones kill the babies voice, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't want to kill my voice right now, but, yeah. it, I mean, that they, but because we have this modern, modern prejudice modern, and because yeah. the, because the goal of modernity is to be atheistic and materialistic. And those are the, overwhelming cosmological and metaphysical understandings of our age, the demons don't have the benefit of being able to direct attack attack right. directly. They can't jump in the body and scare you. They can't possess you as easily. It doesn't it doesn't actually bring people away from the enemy as, as it might have been one point. And so he says the best thing that you know the best thing you can do is to put an image in your head of a, a little man in red tights then yeah. that way that way they think of the de- demons as these silly comical creatures that don't right. make any sense it's just always oh, it's, it's a it's a it's a fiction from our our movies it's like it's not really something serious it's not something to be worried about it's just a thing it's a, it's a fantasy it's not a big deal but the less you truly think about it and a, a gather a truly a true understanding of what a demon is right that's when it starts to move you toward in the right direction because as you know which is the whole with the whole of the whole book it's it's this is the underlying nature of temptation and when you understand that nature suddenly you're able to move past it and the demons can't touch you anymore right 
No, I think that's exactly it. It's all of this misdirection. So like one of the things they get into is prayer. Um, So of course, from the demon's perspective, if a prayer happens at all, they don't want it to happen, of course. But if it's going to happen at all, the prayer should focus on the self and not on God. Uh, Or if it's going to focus on God, it should focus on like this false image of God, like focusing particularly on the the image of the cross or on uh, this the image of a Jewish man or, you know, something like that and focusing very intently on those images or focusing very intently on the self, never actually focusing on God as someone who we can't see, who is invisible, but is all powerful and all knowing. Um, and just being deeply in prayer instead of, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, you're just distracted the whole time. I think the best part to me is when he says the best thing you can do is make them focus on a corner of the wall as though that is God. Oh yeah. Which is, which, is, which I there was like there's a great Simpson bit that kind of echoes that where you see Homer staring into the ceiling going, "If you're really God, you're gonna help me right now." And then Marge walks up and says, "Homer, that's not God. That's a waffle that's been stuck to the ceiling for three years." <laughs> Just pulls it down. Sacrilegious. Which is. You know, that's pretty good. There's a temptation there that's yeah. true. Like if you if you put if you, if you take a you know take an item in your house and you make it into a totem and you constantly pray to the totem, which is not hard to do. It's it just comes down to how you conceptualize your faith. Are you talk, talking through the thing or are you talking to the thing? Are you staring at a photo of Jesus while you're praying and is is your focus being put onto the photo or to the concept of Jesus? And if you're not careful, you start to put your resentments into the, the the photo, and that that ends up reflecting on your overall understanding of Jesus, as opposed to helping you work through your emotions properly. It just it just kind of it ties you up in a rut. It frustrates you, and then that frustration is the demon's way in. It becomes your way to just kind of stick a you know create a crack just just big enough that the person stops believing or stops wanting to believe. Yeah. I think that's right. We got another rumble rant from Abby telling me to text her back. I'm in the middle of a podcast, Abby. (laughs) Uh, But no, you're exactly right. It's, and it's sad too, because again, this is one of those things I, I feel in myself sometimes where I'm easily distracted, where all of these thoughts get caught up in my head and I just can't, my brain won't shut up and focus on God, you know? It can be very difficult, especially, I mean, that was one of my problems very early in my faith. Is I, I, I had a very difficult time with language understand, retention, like language comprehension and information retention. So I would just read a, uh, individual Bible verses and it would go in one ear out the other. And I didn't understand how it fit into the overall narrative or what it reflected or how to compare it with other Bible verses. And I'd be surrounded by these Christians who are so much more intelligent at it, who have these near photographic memories. And I've seen, I've seen pastors speak who can call up any verse in the Bible at, you know, with, with just at an instant. And they'll just be sitting there like, Matthew 23, 10. And it's like, how do you do that? Like, how do you have that ability just to call upon anything and compare it to everything else and build a systematic theology that's this dense and this complicated and this layered? And it, it's it's mind-numbing at times. And then, the, but, the, but the more deep you get into it and the more time you actually dedicate to it the more you actually fight that temptation to be lazy and you yeah. develop that knowledge base it, it grows on you it it, it does. really does it it fills in your understanding and eventually you actually do have this full 
understanding of the full story of the Bible and how all these stories fit together and how you can cross-reference them. And when you have that, it becomes a lot harder to tear down that faith, especially right. when you realize how that faith, how the Bible tends to reflect reality in a in a deeper spiritual sense. Because there's all there's always people there's all those people you'll find online that be like, oh, the easiest way to disprove the Bible is to have someone read it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's maybe, actually not true. <laughs> maybe if you're completely egotistical and you don't want to entertain any of the philosophical concepts behind it, or you're just bored easily. Like it's, right. it's one thing to pick up to, you know, as one person said, to steal a Gideon Bible from the hotel and underline all the saucy parts. It's another thing to actually read commentaries and learn how this 2,500 year old moral philosophy actually is supposed to apply to your life. And when you do that, right. you know, there's a reason Jordan Peterson has converted more people than Richard Dawkins has converted people away, even though Jordan Peterson isn't Christian, technically. I think he's getting there. You know, he just needs that one little, that one little push. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Maybe. Um, but you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I think part of this, again, goes back to like we were mentioning earlier, friendships. So in the very beginning of the book, the patient is friends with these very materialistic characters. But then he actually makes friends with good Christians because he starts dating a good Christian woman. Um, and I think that is such an important turning point for him. And it shows how God just places these people in our lives that have a really important impact on us and on our faith and can be extremely instrumental in building up our faith. It's it's very funny, too, the way that Screwtape describes this girl that he starts oh, dating. Right? He, he's, he, he finds her the most contemptible sort of person because she, 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 he describes her as a waif. Like, she's this very pure-hearted, innocent young woman who just, like, she's the kind of person you can tell, like, she's a cradle Christian. She's never mm -hmm. been outside of the church her whole life. She's never been exposed to any sort of hardship or pain. And, and Wormwood's insight is, like, the only thing she would be useful in the old days is being fed to the lions. Like, right. Like there's, like, there's nothing you can do with her. She's just untouchable. She the, 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 the temper that's stuck with her is doomed. Like, there's nothing you can do to her. But... It's, it's and because the the unnamed human is dating her and she's perfectly in line all suddenly all these temptations that they might be able to use to mess with this human are suddenly not available they right. can't do any sort of sexual temptation with him they can't do any sort of it's very becoming more and more difficult to do philosophical temptation because now right. all of his friends are relatively reasonable and it, and it gets to the point where they have to convey a counsel of all the other tempters just so they can start collaborating together because it's getting too hard to do it individually like they say like we have to like put all these fine cracks in all of them at the same time we have to get them to and the example he uses when he meets the friends is the idea that this very intelligent young christian young man he's constantly going on about the historical jesus and he's, right. described, he's described as an intelligent christian but he has this kind of modern weakness to his theology where he's constantly deferring to a certain kind of academic Christianity that's which I would say is not necessarily damaging but in this in this context it's just creating this version of Jesus that's not actually in line with what the gospels are saying right and so it just kind of create it's all about creating those little wedges if, if, if we're thinking about the historical Jesus you're not thinking about the gospel Jesus if you're not living by the gospel Jesus then you're not a Christian so is the, they have to constantly just find ways 
to put more and more cracks in the facade, and it gets, it gets harder and harder over time for Wormwood because he's, it, it, like you said, he, the, the fr- his friends are influencing him in the right direction. Right. I like that you mentioned that this guy was focusing on the historical Jesus, which brings us to when Screwtape was focusing on the idea of Christianity and like Christianity and socialism or Christianity and faith healing or Christianity and vegetarianism. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, these are great, Uh, but it's adding something to your faith. Like the historical Jesus, who's like this rebellious socialite sort of, person who was not biblically accurate um focusing what did what did he say it was like focusing exclusively on one aspect of jesus and making it more important than all of the other aspects of jesus essentially or even more dangerous letting your understanding of jesus be dictated by other aspects of your worldview which is yeah which is which is especially which i will say is a danger that everyone is susceptible to whether you're conservative or liberal, I mean, obviously, there's when you meet liberal Christians, you get this idea of the socialist Jesus, who's the radical political reformer who runs around and says nice things and then tells the rich people that they're all burning in hell. But then you get the, but they, but you also have the the conservative version of Jesus, who's like Adam Smith, and he doesn't, he's like, he's, it's, it, he doesn't have any of the the hard edges and right it tends to be a little more deferral to national identity and you know, all the, all the buzzwords that our people throw at us, like Nietzschean Christian, Christian nationalist, which right. there's, there's obviously problems with those formulations, but there is a tenant. But when you do meet a lot of Christians, there is a tendency for people to blend their political identity with their religious identity mm-hmm. and not keep them in hierarchical order. We, they, your religious identity must needs to define your political identity. Yep. Otherwise it's the other way around. Your, if your if your political identity is defining your religious identity, that's how you get things like the Donald Trump uh, Son of Man book that was floating around. Did you see that? That was insane. Yeah, it's like J- Donald <laughs> Trump is literally Jesus. I'm like, you know, it's like he, it's not like there's a, this is this is not a political podcast, but I just have to say Trump did some good things. He is not Jesus. He is not God. Stop doing that. Stop it. No, get some I mean, help. There's, there's a good. Po- uh, Paul Vanderclay podcast on on uh, Jesus and John Wayne, where he goes into the symbology of political representation in a modern American psyche that I'd recommend. But for the sake of discussion, we can't let our politics define our religion. Right. Otherwise, it just becomes completely saturated and watered down. And that's what it feels like so many people in America do nowadays. And even even the people that are more dedicated, they they're, it's very clear their politics is a driving motivation behind what they're doing. And that's yeah. that's a danger to us. It, which, it, which, it, to some degree, it is and it isn't because one of the things that the screw tape letters makes clear is that for all the ways these things can be dangerous to us, they can also be kind of, they can also lead us in the right direction. Right. You know, for a, a virtuous man who goes down to hell is, as screw tape says, all the more is all the more amusing when he gets there. But virtue in the hands of someone who's moving in the right direction can also bring you down the right path. Because because when because at some point you can realize that the things that are sinful or you are just imaginary thoughts in your head. Like, you know, if you're a, pushing if you're, it out into the fantasy. Yeah, he, he talks about that in this concentric circles letter. If you if you're a soldier in a war and you say, "I hate the Germans. The Germans are evil. The Germans are everything." Or in modern context, "I hate the Russians. The Russians are right. evil. There's not a good Russian. All the, the only good Russian is a dead Russian." <laughs> then a, a Russian soldier paratroops down in front of you. 
you're not going to just mindlessly stab him. You're probably going to give him like a bottle of water or something and call the and, you know, call someone. I mean, like, right. you know, maybe, maybe we should, uh, you know, get you in the hands of someone safe. You need to go to the hospital. Right. Should we call the police? You know, is, you're, not, you're not because the hatred is entirely imaginary in your own head. And the virtue is real. What the dangerous part is when those two things get reversed. Like, yeah, if you, when you when you imagine when all the 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 bad parts of you become real, and when all of the good parts of you are just hypothetical, which is the, the quintessential, I guess you could say, if, not to, not to get too political, but the social justice kind of angle where it's like, right. you know, we're gonna build the utopia by killing everyone that doesn't agree with us. Like that's that's when it becomes the opposite. You know, it, the, right. the virtue becomes entirely imaginary. There's no actual reality. But the the sin is immediately right there. If you're just straight up murdering people so you can create the better world, then guess what? You're you're a bad person. Yeah, <laughs> I check true. Well, and one of the things that makes me think about this is look, just look at how long it took us to get Roe versus Wade overturned. I mean, the right had been talking about doing that forever. For absolutely ever and it's like oh you get us into office we'll get it done and it took until we got this donald trump into office before it was even close to being possible and it just it's so it's so fake you know it when you prop up your faith in this fake way to use it as a political tool i mean that's extremely dangerous well, politics is—it's all lies, no matter who's yeah. on stage. I mean, that's that's kind God. of the reality. I mean, you want you want you want to believe that there are people out there that actually are willing to go out and make the world a better place, but ninety percent of the time, they're they're not. They're just yeah. they're doing they're saying what they need to say. They're even the, the the hardest thing to accept is the people on our own side are usually like that. Even the people that we like, you know, the people that are like, oh, those those Republicans are the bad ones, but our Republicans are good. Ones. No, right? No, they're they're not. They're no. they're cynical. You know, Donald Trump going on, you know, going out to the burnt church and waving a Bible into the air without reopening it once. And that, that, that's the same thing. Yeah. Even if you want, even if you want to say, well, it's that, that Trump is transactional and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blasting Trump. I'm just saying this, this is the reality of all politics. There's always going to be that at that level of where it's where it's fake. The question is, yeah. what is the true level? What do you what is actually being done? What is the underlying reality of what's being advanced, mm-hmm. which is very scrutapian like what do you yeah. what, is, what is the truth what is fantasy what are you pushing into the circle of virtue what are you pushing into the circle of fantasy what are you pushing into that circle of will yes yeah uh speaking of overturning roe versus wade you know who is also pro-life is north arrow coffee so you know i had to do my little plug there uh north arrow coffee is delicious five-star microwavable and pro-life they donate 15% of their proceeds to pro-life charities. It is single origin and roaster order. So treat yourself to some delicious coffee. I mean, seriously, I make myself a pot of this and I drink it every stream. Um, so save yourself some babies. Get some delicious coffee by using code Hawkound to get 10% off of North Arrow Coffee. How to get that in there. It's delicious coffee. I don't know if you've ever had it, but you should try it. And they sponsor my podcast too. You should uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go watch. That's my right. Podcast. Duh. My, Duh. <laughs> my brain is like halfway on today. Um, but so yeah, we talked about that Christianity and well, and we basically talked about adding that patriotism to your faith too. Uh, the, he kind of talks about the flip side of that, which is the pacifism in Christianity. Uh, it's like 
playing upon the fear of the individual to sap them of courage. And that, that becomes a big theme. It's like he's in this unknown place because he doesn't know if he's going to get drafted for the war or not. Uh, and so on the one hand, he could be afraid of dying or he could be afraid of not getting drafted at all. So it really plays upon his uncertainty. Yeah, that's one of the better, one of the more interesting insights is uh, Warm Screwtape doesn't actually care whether or not the the guy is a pacifist or a nationalist in the circumstance. He right. just says it has to be for the right reason, and it has to be done to promote the maximum amount of uncertainty possible. It doesn't. It, you, know, you can you can be a completely moral nationalist and a completely moral isolationist or whatever whatever it, whatever political opinion. It's it really just depends on what's driving that that opinion underneath it and if you're and for wormwood the key is just to make him do it for the wrong reason <laughs> right it's always about doing it for the wrong reasons um and i really feel for this this place of uncertainty because there's so much of life is uncertain and at some point we just have to recognize that maybe that uncertainty is the cross we're supposed to bear and just realize maybe that's the place where we're supposed to have trust. Not in the future, but right now in this moment where we don't know what's going to happen. I can't remember where he says it, but Screwtape says that the most dangerous state you can be in is for your patient to be in a place of uncertainty and pain, but to keep doing the, mm -hmm. the will of the the will of the enemy, as even though it's not fulfilling or proving anything to him. Because right. obviously when for any convert, there's going to be the, the honeymoon period where you're just excited and you're surrounded by new people and you're learning new things and it's all just fun, but then it's going to get boring. Then it's going to get dry. Then there's going to be periods where nothing makes any sense or they, or you don't know how to rationalize the things that are happening in your life with what you're reading. You're going to face tragedy. You're going to face uncertainty. You're going to face the possibility of death itself. And those, right. questions, and those questions are the ones that upend you. But if you keep moving in that faith, there's nothing that the demons can do to uncert to dig that up because you're the act of doing the of doing the thing of doing the practices the the slogging of of thy will be done my daily yeah. prayers that is the faith that is the actual thing that saves you even 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 more so than even more so than the the belief itself it's the the action the, the it's it, the fact that you're living it out it it's it's drilling those practices into your head over time it's like it's it's like the, the lord's prayer over yeah. time, it just becomes so easy to say because you've you've said it so many times. It's it's a pathway in your brain that's been carved out like right. a like a habit. It's or or an addiction. It's it it impresses yourself on itself onto you, and eventually, that floodgate is going to give way to a regeneration, which happens in the book because at some point right. he the, the, he loses the the wormwood loses the ability to actually do any damage, and that. It, you're, it's building your spiritual muscles up, even even in the pain and uncertainty of those moments. I like how at some point in the book, uh, Screwtape mentions that our bodies are very important. Like when we get down on our knees to pray, like that that action is very important. So he's constantly reminding Wormwood, you know, you want to keep him focused on it being overly spiritual. Like you don't have to do anything with your body. You don't have to do any physical action you don't have to act it can just all be in your head 
Yeah, and that's definitely something for us to consider as modern Christians because the way we worship has changed so much in the past yeah. hundred years. I mean, I've I, I've had the opportunity to worship in just about every kind of church there is, and one of the more interesting spiritual reflections I found was I visited an Orthodox parish, and they said that pews are heretical because pews force you to uh, it, it it forces you not to think about what you're doing with your body and your way you worship, oh. which is very which when you think about the way that's most insightful. Well, yeah, I mean, when you think about most churches now, like half the contemporary churches you go to have folding chairs and yeah. they, you're, you're, they let you sit down for the majority of it. And when you're in, in, a, in a more traditional context, you're supposed to be kneeling or standing for the majority of it, which right. even which even more traditional churches do that better with the with, you know, the pew rails. If you go to a traditional Lutheran or an Anglican church, which is where I got the tradition, which is my tradition, I'm an Anglican. If you go into that tradition. The, the body becomes more proactive in the way you worship and you're you're looking up at the cross as you pray and as opposed to you know having that level of equanimity like it it becomes in part of the way you understand you engage with the liturgy and the yeah. service yeah max gray for over on rumble says trad cast uh, this is where I have a lot of respect for Catholics and Anglicans and everyone who's very into the very traditional liturgy. And it's something that I, I think I miss uh, being a Baptist because I recognize there is a huge importance to that symbolism and ceremony and doing the thing with your body. Like communion is very important to me. And that's a thing we do with our bodies. It's just there's something I think Protestants have lost a little bit in that. Um yeah, I don't, so. I don't like I don't like berating my evangelical brothers too much because I <laughs> see too much of that on Twitter. Like, if you I appreciate it. If you spend ten minutes on trad Twitter, you, you it's like the it's like the SpongeBob scene where they're being chased by Sandy and you see Patrick just pulled by the lasso <laughs> and a nuclear bomb just explodes at the distance. That's the average experience being an evangelical on on Catholic Twitter. It's there's no Bye. mercy, there's no <laughs> understanding, there's no it's 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 just it, there's a lot of and we could probably, and I don't want to go too deeply into because there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot of grievance involved in that. But it, it, there's a tendency to be not be charitable, and but I, I definitely agree. There's a lot of the reasons why things like the Book of Common Prayer or the Rosary exist are because these are t- tried and true spiritual tools, right. and they, they can be very easy to forget. Even even C.S. Lewis, as as a non-Catholic, says the most the, mo- the most pressing thing that the, the Protestants ever got rid of was the confession. Because yeah. it allows you to externalize your sin in a way that private that private prayers do not, which is not oh to say gosh, you, yeah. which is not to say you have to do it to go to heaven. Just that it's a useful thing, and having that as a way of expression can be very gratifying to your faith. And I, and I say that as an Anglican who doesn't do general confession, who doesn't do personal confession. That like these yeah. are these are things you have to gauge yourself and decide: is this the way I want to? Is this the tool I want to use in my faith? Which is yeah. which is not to be overly generalistic. You sh- you should, I, I think that the the denominational faiths are a little bit better at this. But I I, I also understand why the the, the faiths uh, have evolved the way they do because right. I mean, somebody, His, history. <laughs> well, history and just the general force of the fact that young people just absolutely refuse to go to liturgical churches despite what people say online. So it, it is a weird balance because on the one hand you do see some of the more trad places growing but on the other hand you see some of these more 
extremely progressive, very heretical churches growing. So, oh, so yeah. if you want, if you want my take on this? I just put up a piece at North American Anglican where I talk about this. At the moment, the only churches in the United States that actually have a growing population are conservative evangelicals. Yeah, progressive mainline Protestant churches are dying, and the trad, the, the ultra traditionalist churches are their growth is overstated. There's a, there's a self selection bias to it, but the, for the most part, the the, the only church with replacement level faith at the moment is basically like the non-denominational, charismatic, Pentecostal, <laughs> evangelical version of the faith where you go into the mega church, which me as an Anglican is not happy about. But right. that's the reality. Those are the only Christians that are that have, you know, where the families on average have 2.1 kids per family because you need one kid each to replace the mom. And then point one of a child that likes to go skiing with sharks. So <laughs> skiing with sharks. I like that. Or you, whatever, you know, pole vaulting into a tiger pit, whatever. <laughs> Something very masculine and intense and death defying. He's, uh, he's doing the jump the shark scene from, uh, what's the, what's oh, the old happy joke? days? Yeah. He's doing, he's the, he's the one doing the happy days shark, shark jump. Right. So. Yeah. It, it's so interesting because, I mean, in the screw tape letters, he talks about trying to get the patient to be a connoisseur of churches, like to not stay at one church, but to go around and just kind of sample them, you know, and like not really be dedicated to one, not get involved, not build community, just to be like really high minded and spiritual and better than everyone else he sees. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- to quote another C.S. Lewis book, he talks about Lewis talks about this in *Mere Christianity*, where the the status of being a Christian is just the is supposed to get you into the door. It's right. not supposed to be where you stay. It, it the best thing you can do as a Christian is to pick a tradition and really drill into it. Which is not to say that you know every church is you know there's no uh, there's no difference between them. Like certain churches are better than other ones, and I'm sure our Calvinist friends and our Catholic friends would be very happy to remind us that there's no salvation outside of themselves, but <laughs> right. I, it's know, all predestined. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there, there's, there's no salvation outside of communion with Canterbury, but uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, the most important thing you can do is to pick a side and then really understand it. Right. And if you can really drill into what makes that tradition tick and understand its intellectuals and why it was designed the way it was and what problems it was solving. And when you do that, you actually can delve into the deeper aspects of faith. You don't want to be just trapped eternally in that initial entry door where you're just showing up. You're not, you're not baptized. You're not in full communion. You don't understand what the theology of your church you're going to is or what the purpose of the worship is or why you're doing anything you're doing. You need that extra layer. You need that communion with what your tradition we also just need that communion with the, the community. Like, Absolutely. The most important thing you can have at a church is deep friends and connections with that church. You need to be going out to lunch with them every single Sunday. You need to be just having... Doing life with them. Yeah. You need to be having conversations with them. You need to be asking them questions about Bible verses. Like That's, that's when the actual work of faith happens. If you just show up to a church and you don't know the name of anyone there and then you go home and you live your life as a hedonist, you know, the, uh, right. what's the, the Florida Georgia line lyric, you know, you cuss on the sun on the, on the Mondays and pray on the Sundays. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you can't, you can't yeah. live that forever. And you know, even it's in the religious parts of the United States, you know, the Bible belt, 
that's the culture, you know. You drink heavy on Saturday night and then you go to Sunday church and you pray it away. You can't, that's not a great life. It's not. Well, and I just know from volunteering at my local church, it's like on Easter Sunday and getting ready for Christmas, it's like you have to like put all, pull out all the stops because that's when all those CEO Christians come pouring in the doors. And it's like, oh, I want you guys to be here every week. <laughs> When I was 10 years old, I used to think of Christianity as an insurance policy. And now I realize how stupid that is. It's like, oh, if I, if I put in the bare minimum, right. I probably won't go to hell. But that's not how it works. <laughs> well, and it's like, it's not a good insurance policy because, I mean, if you're, if we're wrong, then we got persecuted our whole lives for nothing, you know? Because, I mean, the Bible tells us the world is going to hate us. The world hates us. We're seeing this now actively on Twitter everywhere around us. Uh, you just got to look at the news right now to know that everyone hates Christians. Like, it's not a happy world to be a Christian in right now. The media is literally playing, uh, is literally uh, deferring to a terrorist right now because they don't want to admit that the Christians are victimized. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough world we live in right now, guys. So, I mean, it's important to count the cost for your face. To If you're going to do it, do it. Don't sit here like a wet blanket and half-ass it. Indeed. We've gone off tan uh, topic a few times already. We <laughs> yeah. That's okay. We're, we're just having a good time talking about the book, the themes. That this is the cool thing about the screw tape letters because I don't know if it's so much about the story itself. I mean, the story itself is amazing, but it just really makes you think. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this in the pre-show, but there's such an economy of language to Lewis's vocabulary to the point yeah. where his shortest books are paradoxically the most dense. And this is one where you could you could legitimately do a 30-week Bible study on it, where you just tell yeah. people, read read every single letter and then come back and then have and have an insight. Because you will have an insight in every single one of these letters. There is this is not a book that you should just briskly read. This is a yeah. this is the kind of thing you can read over and over and over again. And you come away with a different lesson. Or you read it at a different point in your life, and suddenly a lesson makes more sense to you then than it did before. Yeah. Like like there are certain things that you just you don't need at certain points in your spiritual life, but there. But there, they, it jumps between so many different topics that it allows you to reflect on things as you're reading it and just pick out individual letters and figure out how to apply that. And there are some points where it goes really in depth on specific issues, like dedicates four or five letters just to a single right. topic. Even 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 like I, it, there are points of it where it actually got kind of pedantic, but it's it it, it really. You can come back to this book so many times in your life. This is a book everyone should read at some point in their life. Uh, and I like how you point out that it you can get different lessons from it at different points in your life. One of the things that really stood out to me when I reread it before this show is the idea of something being mine, the idea of ownership. And this is something that, again, the screw tape and Wormwood are trying to ease into the patient like, you own time and space and your body like you might own your boots. So like there's a big difference between my boots and my God, but people are taught to have the same attitude regarding both treating unownable things like time and God as if they were commodities to be bought and sold. It's so weird, but 
it's so true too, because like, if you think about a work day, it's like, okay, I'm giving up eight hours of my day or however long you work to your company or wherever you work, but that time still belongs to you, but actually none of it belongs to you. And that's a problem that anyone's going to face, especially very early on in their religious journey, because you tend to think of these things as burdens or yeah. you think that it's like, Oh, am I, uh, am I supposed to do a devotional reading today? It's going to take half an hour of my life. Am I supposed to pray all the time? How long am I supposed to pray for? Should I just pray for a minute or should I pray for an hour? And then you meet people that are like, Oh yeah, I spend like three hours a day in prayer. And you're like, well, that's kind of, that's true waste of time. I can't possibly do that. Right. I have a job. It's such a burden and a sacrifice. I can't wake up early and, and uh, read my <laughs> prayer book. I can't wake up early for devotions. I can't spend hours of my life praying. I've got XYZ in which right. you know, the, 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 the reality is that's true, but you could fit it in. You could. you could. You could fit in an hour of day of reading the Bible or reading a devotional book or you know, if you're Catholic doing the rosary, if you're Anglican reading the Book of Common Prayer, you can fit these things in. This isn't hard. It's an hour. What are you gonna do? You, what, what are you doing for an hour every day? Like, right, mindlessly I mean, doom scrolling on TikTok. Yeah, well, yeah, especially uh, you know not for these young kids who I, I refuse to use TikTok. But if you're using, if you're just mindlessly scrolling social media for an hour a day. Put on one of the 100 billion podcasts where they do daily devotional readings and spend, you know, any amount of time just reflecting on it. And you don't even have to go super in deep. You don't, yeah. if, if, if something is, you know, if you're struggling with a certain book of the Bible and you can't get past it, you know, there's plenty of user, you know, uh, pedestrian level books that are completely accessible that you can read that'll help you understand the concepts and then go back and read the bible and say oh i understand it through this lens now like yeah. you can there's things you can do there's things you can do right now that don't cost you anything at all there's a million free podcasts there's a million there's, literally a million there's thousands of youtubers and free audiobooks and resources and websites and blogs and everything you could possibly imagine that's at your fingertips and the first thing in your head is, I don't have time for any of it. Well, if you're watching this podcast right now, you're doing the thing. Good job. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Max Gray for recommends Hallow. Have you ever used Hallow before? No, I'm not a papist. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it a Catholic one? I, I had heard of it before. I didn't realize it was Catholic. That It's one of those like meditation ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm guessing. Yeah, they pulled a lot of uh, kind of uh, popular Catholic devotional materials mm. into it, so it's all in one place. I think you can like listen to like Catholic lo-fi onto it, and there's like <laughs> Catholic lo-fi. That's a mood. Oh, oh I, 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 it's, it's actually very useful if you need something like droning to listen to while you're working. <laughs> but it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, th th there's plenty of resources, yeah. and I could there are. I mean, if but this is, I mean, you could do a whole list of recommendations, but that's neither here nor there for the moment. For sure. Abby Libby says over on Rumble, what if I'm mindfully doom scrolling on social media? Can you mindfully doom scroll? I'm inducing ego death. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, in like, maybe in like a Buddhist meditation sense where you're just, you, you're losing yourself. But that's that's right. not a Christian way. Myself to is right. disappearing. I'm becoming one with Twitter. That seems kind of, mm, mm, I don't know. 
that's kind of what Buddhist meditation is all about. It's like yeah. dissolve it's dissolving your concept of the self and coming to understand what what, what you actually are within your own mind. So right. Wartime Propaganda says, I like Hallow, even as a Protestant. That's cool. I like that. Who does that Bible in a Year podcast? It's like Father Mike Schmitz, I think. Yeah. I, it, I know a lot of really good. I know a lot of people that listen to it who aren't Catholic. So that's yeah. I I I have been driving with my dad and he's been listening to it. He's the most nice. evangelical person I know. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so there there's lots of resources out there. I mean, take advantage of them of them. Take your face seriously. Um, and the last thing I just want to kind of mention before we get into our final book club questions is the idea of death. Like, so we touched on it because when you did the whole uh, book synopsis, the patient does ultimately end up dying in this air raid bombing. And there's this moment when he, when the patient gets to see Jesus and the angels who've been around him, who have been helping him. And that is just it's only a couple of sentences, but it is such a tender moment, even coming from Screwtape's words. Like, how how does that work? How does the demon capture that tender moment of when you get to see Jesus's face? Like, oh, it was you. It's the last chapter of the Screwtape Letters is some of the best prose and reflection of the entire book. Yeah. Because it really does frame it in a beautiful way. And especially if you've read other books like The Great Divorce, where you, you hear his, you hear Lewis's ideas about the nature of salvation, you start to realize that salvation is a process that begins before you die and then becomes fulfilled in it. And in the moment of your death, you become, you come to realize the full nature of your existence had led up to that moment and that everything good was just a part of building that to, to that moment where you're finally reunited and become one with goodness and light itself and for screw tape he's aware of the reality that heaven is absconding with their food like they treat they like they repeatedly call humans cattle throughout it and they yeah but he has this understanding of it at least at least intellectually where he thinks like you know the moment the moment the fullness of his life is brought before him he's he, the man sees screw tape but he also sees christ yeah and suddenly he realized like it's like the veil being released before him everything makes sense the entirety of his life is just made perfectly clear in that moment and the man is fulfilled and he's taken away and wormwood is left to his fate there's nothing more he can do now some people might think this ending is very sad you know it's not like the patient was an old man he died very young. He died while he was in love. But I don't think it's sad because he got to meet his creator. I mean, it's a happy ending. It is end. a happy ending. The happy ending is that the demon's lost. Right. Like that's the, which, you know, obviously, we, we as Christians, we're supposed to understand that death is not, not death the, is end. the enemy of death's not the end, but that's also philosophically our enemy. It's the right. thing that we have brought upon ourselves by our, our sin. Right. But because of because of Christ's redemption, we're able to escape that reality, and we have hope for our ultimate state and revival, and that we will not be judged for our duly committed sins. Right. So we are. And that is the blessing of Christ. And I think this is a lie told by the world that death is the ultimate 
sad thing to happen. I mean, if you're a Christian, you're like, this is it. I'm going, I'm finally going where I belong. You know, we were not meant for this world. And to finally get to go to where we're supposed to be is very fulfilling. So it's such a hard thing to talk about because there's a part of you that's like, oh, well, it for the people left behind, it's sad, right? To have someone you love leave you behind. But on the opposite side, if you're a Christian, you know, you know where you're going. You have that faith that you'll get to meet Jesus. But at the same time, if you're not a Christian, I could imagine how this final letter might have ended differently. But death is still real and philosophically it's still considered a bad thing. I mean, it's one yeah. of the it's one of the more difficult realities of Christianity is that yeah. we're supposed to recognize that death is an end, but that we are but because we are both body and soul, right. It is not the fullness of that end. You know, there's, I, I read a part of Adam Carolla's book a couple years ago, and he said, you know, he's, and he's an atheist, so he's like, you know, when, when someone dies, you're sad because that person's gone forever and you're never going to see them again. And, and you know, it, it, even, even if you believe, there's still that reality of finality to it. There's still the reality that, that the body is dead, that, that the spark with them is, is gone. And that tension of the reality that the person is still alive but the body is dead right it doesn't feel real to people it doesn't and, they're, and, they're, and, and lewis wrote two entire books just about that nature of the nature of that grief and the rate the nature of that yeah. separation and pain and how we ultimately have to find a way to channel it back into christ otherwise it it could be all consuming it can yeah and, and which is another which, which i don't i don't think screwtape doesn't really go into grief as a temptation right. but i would imagine that yes lewis is. has a whole nother book about that I, i'm 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 curious why he didn't have add like you know one of the patient's family members dies and yeah you know, but, because there's, there's probably a whole layer of you know temptation to that because how many times have you talked to someone in life who said you know i was a christian until x family member died and suddenly right. i realized there's no goodness in the world but there's equally as many people that will say X family member died and the entire family came together and it's brought us together in a way we never would have imagined. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, there's, there's temptation either way there. Right. Well, and that brings us to our book club question. So one of the questions I wanted to ask if you were to add one letter uh, by screw tape to talk about a specific theme or idea, what would you add and why? Ooh, that's difficult. I mean, I, I just brought up the idea of doing a grief letter which is not something he talks about. But. Right. That would be cool. And chat, please participate. If you guys wanted to add one letter, what would you want it to be about and why? I mean, I think I'd, I'd be curious what screw tape can do with modernity. I, yeah. mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously there's so many new challenges we're dealing with today, but a lot of them are just extensions of the things that are already in the book. I mean, technology is just a distraction politics is a distraction. And this is something that he, that he goes a little into when Screwtape proposes the toast, where he talks about the mediocrity of democracy, that there's this tendency in societies where democracy and equality are desired to flatten human beings down and to punish excellence and more moral virtue and goodness to the point where everyone's just kind of meh, no strong right. opinions, no strength, no abilities. It's just a big mass of gelatinous failure and that's kind of what we're dealing with now. Like there are no virtuous people anymore. Guess what? Everyone's kind of a little bit bad, but there's no one, but it's just, 
if every, everyone's boring and there's not enough good people to go around to keep everything working. So everything's just kind of slowly ca- getting more chaotic. Yeah. The slow downward spiral to hell, sadly. Yeah. I, I think technology would be a really interesting letter, even if it was like uh, more technology closer to his day. So maybe not quite the advent of computers, um, but just like different technological advancements would be interesting to see how he would talk about them. Like, I mean, even talking about newsprint, how news is so widely accessible and how the written word can be used to manipulate your mind. I think that would be a very interesting discussion. It's not new though. Like that's it's the only not. thing I, that's, that's the only thing I would say is like, it's every challenge we're facing now is something that Lewis was keenly aware of because yeah. religion was dying in his day. The news media was as biased in his day. Technology was dehumanizing people in his day. I mean, he was probably about like 45 years old when the nuclear bomb went off. Like imagine like yeah. what that's going to do to you. Like, Oof. That's a good point. Max Grayforce says computers are revolutionary. It would be interesting to see what he would think. It would be interested to see what he would think about computers. So my other question was, how would screw tape letters look differently if written today? I think he would talk about computers. Think be interesting to see his take on transgenderism. That would be spicy. That would be spicy. Oh, goodness. I I am not going to begin to comment on that. <laughs> yeah, that, totally fair. Totally fair. Um, but yeah. And the thing is, it's like you said, nothing is new. And there are, there are variations of that temptation. We didn't really talk about um, lust or sexual desire. But that was one of the things that came up a lot when he started dating this new Christian girl. First, it was like he was trying to get him to fall in love, but not real love. Just like this surface level infatuation and so he talked about how if you get it get them to marry someone and it's all just like that surface level happiness as soon as you fall air quotes out of love then the relationship is wrecked and there's like no true sense of deep and meaningful love and that still applies today yeah especially in the age of tinder good grief yeah Max Grayforce says he would think it was some Eastern Buddhist crap. Oh, the transgenderism stuff. Yeah, probably. I would say it's more of a Gnostic heresy in the immortal words of uh, James Lindsay. So, Oh, yeah. That's fair. At least they recognize that there's a soul, even though they haven't figured out that the body and yeah. soul are both important. Well, yeah, when you can't... Uh, when you can't figure out a theology that integrates the body and the soul, you wind up with denying the existence or one or the other or actively saying they're bad right. which is very bad for your mental and spiritual health if you're if you're just going to believe that i can transcend into a conscious being with no need for a body like it, you see that in like all the time in like 1960s science fiction where they thought the next stage of humanity was to evolve into a cloud an extra dimensional being that has no body you mean like right. it's in futurama is like it, it, but that's not what the next you know the no. next version of us is going to look like that's that's like a ghost but it, it, it's it, it's it's like my joke on uh on people who believe in simulation theory it's just creationism with extra steps right that it, is not, the big guy in the chair <laughs> exactly it's, except the big guy in the chair is just a nerd right yeah so my last book co- club question and we might have touched on it already is like 
we talked about lots of lessons in this book, but was there one that just like hit you more than others that went drove home? Abby and I talked about on the uh, Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress, a uh, hashtag real grass, which we'll talk about more next week when we talk about the great divorce, but like something that is so real. It's like, oh my gosh, that hurt. Just uh, don't fall into sophistry. I mean, yeah. it, Lewis is very much a Platonist and Plato's entire philosophy is just about getting to the real thing beyond the surface, getting to the real world and not getting trapped in the shadowlands of the, the world where everything is just puppets and voices and where you're enslaved mm-hmm. to the world around you. Don't let yourself be distracted and yeah. don't let yourself be caught up in sophistry and weak answers because that's the trap. The trap is you get caught in the wires, you get caught in the spider web, and then you don't get out. You have to constantly dig deeper. And with, so as Andrew Clavin says, you got to always ask why, 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 why? Dig to the next layer, dig to the next layer, figure out the truth, get to the actual underlying nature of things. Because otherwise you just wind up as the stereotypical Reddit atheist who just, who just asks questions but has nothing original or profound to say. You're just right. like, oh, your religion is so smart and why don't you, then why don't you, why doesn't it exist? It's like you have to uh, <laughs> Dab, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like why, you know, but when you actually dig down do things that there is moral and coherent spiritual reasons to do that and we don't always dig deep enough ourselves and so we get caught up in these yeah. questions and we make mistakes we say stupid stuff and it hurts us and hurts other people. So don't, so for me, the screw tape letters is that don't like, don't just start at the surface. Like you, you start at the surface, but dig deeper. you let yourself always be searching for that real truth, the real platonic reality. I like that. Yeah. That, that is also one of the big lessons I took away from it is like, don't let yourself be distracted. Be very mindful of yourself when you're thinking about others, talking to others. Uh, you just never know when that tiny little creeping temptation is going to sneak in and build up your emotions or make you say something you might regret. Um, so I really enjoyed this book. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Well, I hope everybody tunes in next week because I will be joined by none other than Abby Libby. We are going to talk about C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. So that is an episode you don't want to miss. Um, so make sure you guys like this, uh, show, give it a thumbs up, subscribe. And just a quick reminder, anyone who leaves us a five-star review, uh, will get a special shout out next week and a 20% off discount code for the Hawkhound shop. So please don't forget to like, and share the show. That's how we grow. And that's how we get better. And we'll see you guys all next week. Take care. (laughs) 